Good morning. First question, can everybody hear me? I'm going to try to stand down here on the floor. It makes me less nervous or so that I think in my head makes me feel better. The second question I have is to what place are you going? What I mean more specifically is when the doors on this life are closed and your life here is no more, to what place are you going? Will it be a place of happiness and joy, glory and honor? Or will it be a place of heartache, sorrows, gloom and despair? Will you be with God? Or will you be alone? Your answer to this question is of great significance. Because, friend, you don't want to go to the wrong place. The answer seems clear. Who would ever choose to go and be away from God? But we have many biblical examples of men and women who have chose to go away from God. Let's consider Judas Iscariot. Judas was one of the twelve apostles whom Jesus selected himself to go and preach. And so Judas had the privilege of walking with Jesus, watching Jesus perform miracles, watching him heal the sick and cast out demons, and he had the privilege of listening to Jesus. But yet, let's turn to John chapter 6, verses 66 and 70 through 71. Just previous to this passage, <clears throat> Jesus had told to the multitude that he is the true bread of life that came down out of heaven. And if they were to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, that they could live forever. And so this disgruntled some of the members of the multitude. And some of them, beginning in verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? So we see already that just because of the teaching that Jesus had, those who were able to hear his voice, just as you can hear mine this morning, chose not to go with him. And how sad that is. But Jesus asked, you do not want to go away also, do you? Verse 66, 68, Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed you have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. How sad of a thought that someone especially an apostle, would ever betray Jesus Christ. Especially someone who would betray, betray Jesus Christ for a worldly, a worldly pleasure, such as money. Uh, after all, Luke 22 tells us that Satan entered the heart of Judas, and Judas agreed to money. Thirty pieces of silver, to be exact, the price of a slave. And so how sad that is. And so Judas, with his money in his hand, he led the mob to Jesus. And he told him, he said, Whomever I shall kiss, he is the one, seize him. And so with a kiss, the deed was done. Judas betrayed the Lord. And Acts 1, verse 25, tells us that Judas went to his own place. Friends, learn from Judas. You do not want to go to your own place. For Judas, his own place, 
meant that he lost his money. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 3, we see that Judas took the money which he had received for his betrayal against Jesus, and he threw it back to the chief priests and the elders. So he lost his money. Verse 5 of Matthew chapter 27 says he went away and he hanged himself. And so he also lost his life. But more significant than any of those two, he was to receive a throne in heaven. He was supposed to sit with the twelve apostles in heaven on his throne. And he lost his throne. It cost him everything he had to go to his own place. He lost his money, he lost his life, and he lost his throne. And certainly we can understand that there is a cost that goes with going away from God. Let's consider Jonah. We spoke about Jonah this morning. Just briefly, what does verse 3 say of Jonah? It says, But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so he went down to Joppa. He found a ship which was going to Tarshish. And he did what? He paid the fare. And he went down into it to go with him to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. We don't know how much it cost Jonah to board that ship, but we know he paid the cost. He paid whatever it cost him to flee from the presence of the Lord. And so Jonah went to his own place. Where was Jonah's own place? It was in the belly of that great sea monster. And there he found himself alone. He found himself alone and away from God in his own place. Thankfully for Jonah, he repented of his sins. And he prayed to God that he would obey the commandments. And so God gave him back his life. And although Jonah was bitter about the final outcome of Nineveh repenting and God showing mercy to Nineveh, he received his proper place with God once again. You see, it's not man's intended place to be away from God. Man was intended to be with God in the garden. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> Verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed in his, into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And out of the ground... Or, and the Lord plant, God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. So God created the garden of Eden for man. It was to be man's home where he could endure with God forever. Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. So man would continue to uphold the treasures which God had given him. He was to continue to cultivate the ground and to keep it as his home. And so because it was to be man's home forever, God blessed him with several blessings. Verse 9, <clears throat> And out of the ground the Lord calls to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. There was an abundance of food for Adam and Eve in the garden. There was only one tree that they couldn't partake of. The rest of them were good for food and pleasing to the sight. They had the abundance of food. Food that they didn't have to cause to grow. It was just there awaiting for their nutrition. And then verse 10 says, Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. 
And from there it divided and became four rivers. Can you imagine the abundance of water that then flowed into the garden? If upon its exit from the garden it became four rivers, there was quite an abundance of water, life-sustaining water that man needed to survive. But not only this, there was the tree of life in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 22. It says that man could stretch out his hand and partake of the tree of life, and he would eat, and it says he would live forever. See, man was never intended to be separated from God. He was intended to abide in the garden with God forever in his immortal body. But man sinned. And he fell short. He succumbed to sin. And so because of that, Adam and Eve and mankind went to his own place. A place away from God. A place away from all the provisions of God and away from the tree of life. For the wages of sin is death and now our bodies, they do die. And so because of this, man has gone to his own place. And here we are today. We're still in our own place, still in this wilderness of sin where we're away from God where we're away from all his provisions, we now have to cause plants to grow for our own nourishment. Adam and Eve didn't have to do that. God provided everything. And we're away from the tree of life to where our mortal bodies now suffer the pain of death. But there is hope in the darkness of that thought. After all, what does John 14 say? John 14, verse 1 through 4. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Doesn't that make you smile? To know that even though man left that first home with God where he was meant to be for eternity and he went to his own place, that Jesus provides an opportunity for a new place. He says, for I go to prepare a place for you. The prophet Isaiah records in Isaiah 51 verse 3. He says, indeed the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort her in all the waste places. And her wilderness he will make like Eden. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and a sound of melody. So this wilderness that we now call home, this place of sin, will become like the garden of the Lord. You see, for the prophet Isaiah speaks of the place which we live now, but it also gives us hope of the garden of the Lord will come again. And so Jesus said, I will go to prepare a place for you. And the Revelation letter actually describes for us that restoration of the garden of the Lord. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. 
verses 1 through 3. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservants shall serve him. And so John depicts for us that Edenic scene where the water, instead of flowing into the garden, it now flows directly from the source of life himself, God. And it flows directly from his throne. We also see the recovery of the tree of life where we can partake of that tree and live with God forever in heaven. And what, what a tremendous blessing that is, that the tree of life has been recovered for us. It's significant that John captures the recovery of these blessings. For John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And because we see the recovery of these blessings, we know that there is a way. And we know that man can go and repent of his sins and return back into his father's house. Do we remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? Let's turn to Luke 15. In the story of the prodigal son, which begins in verse 11, we have a father. And this father has two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son comes to the father asking for his portion of the inheritance. And so the father gives it to him, and the younger son leaves off to a distant country where he plunders all of his money with loose living, squandering it away with harlots, and eventually he finds himself with nothing. He's lost the entire inheritance that was given to him, and he's left with nothing. He finds himself in need of food, so he takes a job with a local citizen. And he begins to feed the citizens pigs. And he finds himself actually longing for the pods which he's feeding to the swine. The man was in dire need. And so what did he do? When he came to his senses, he thought of his father's hired servants and how they never longed for anything to eat. They had the bread which they needed to survive. And so he thought to himself, maybe if I go back to my father's place, that I could tell him that I've sinned against heaven and in his sight, that I'm not worthy to be his son, but would you please make me one of your hired servants so that he could then have the food that he needed to survive. And so he proceeded on to his father's place, and even while yet he was a long way off, the father saw him coming. And the father felt compassion for him. He went down and dressed him in a robe, he put rings on his fingers and a sandal on his feet. And the son immediately began to confess, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He said, I am not worthy to be called your son. And before he could ask to be the, father, the father's servant, the hired servant, immediately, the father had already dressed him in the robe, 
put rings on his fingers and sandals on his feet, and he commanded that the fattened calf be killed and that they would rejoice over the return of his son. Now we often attribute this parable as the erring Christian. As you see, the, the younger son went to his own place, did he not? He left the riches of his father, the blessings that he had in his father's kingdom, and he went to go to his own place. And what did it cost him? We've seen in every other example that it cost him something. It cost him everything he had. Just like Judas, it cost him everything that Judas had. Just like Adam and Eve, he found himself outside of the blessings of his father. And so we see that when you go away from God and when you go to your own place, there's going to be suffering. <clears throat> but as I said, this is often referred to as the story of the erring Christian. Does the erring Christian fit into this story? Certainly the principles of an erring Christian, one who goes away from the kingdom of heaven, from being called a child of God, being a child of the world, when he comes back to God, just as this young son did, God is able to forgive. But let's continue reading in verse 25 and find out if this story applies to the erring Christian. Verse 25 says, Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older son, he became angry, and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be married with my friend. But when the sons of yours came, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now, question. When an erring Christian comes back, comes back to the fold, has anyone in this audience ever become angry or upset at that? I certainly hope not. More importantly, when God shows mercy to the erring Christian who actually comes back to the fold, who would then say, I'm not going to go into heaven to the prepared feast because I don't want to be with him? That is absurd. So I don't believe that this is a parable about the Aryan Christian. Yes, the principles are there. But more fitting would be to say that the older son was racial Israel and the Jewish nation who did not want God to show mercy to the younger Gentile brother. But thank goodness that God does show mercy to Jew and Gentiles alike. For 2 Peter 3, verse 9, says that God is patient and long-suffering, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
In Jeremiah 31, verse 34, says that he will, is willing to forgive us of our iniquities and remember our sins no more. How thankful we are for that. That he, even when we commit sin, that God is willing to forgive us of our sins. I'm reminded of a story. Uh, it was in a dream one night that I found myself walking through this wooded area. And there was a slightly beaten path. And so as I walked down that path, I started noticing up in front. And so I quickly hurried on to what lay before me. And there was a huge gate outlining the scene of this horizon. So I ran even faster. And there at the foot of that gate sat a little man dressed in all white. He had a beard that was just all white. And before him was this huge book. And he was just flipping pages in these big books. And I mean, these big pages were just going across. So I walked up to him and I said, hello. He stopped me. So he kept flipping, kept looking and reading and searching. Finally again, I said, hello, sir. And he threw his hand up. So when he got done, he finally said, name. I said, Crow Landon White. And he flipped through his book and he said, oh, yes, I've been waiting for you for some time. And uh, he said, are you ready to enter the kingdom of heaven? I said, yes. And he said, well, before you can go into the kingdom of heaven, he said, you've got to go back through the woods there, and there's going to be a path off to your right. He said, go in there and find a piece of chalk. He said, then take that chalk and climb the ladder. And he goes, when you get in there, there's going to be a room with just blackboards. And he said, put a little tick mark for every sin you've ever committed. Sounds easy enough. So off I go, traveling back through the woods, and get over there to the to the right, and I find a piece of chalk. Now, this, this was no ordinary piece of chalk. A piece of chalk was about a foot in diameter and about four foot long. It was very cumbersome. They were stacked up like cordwood. So I grabbed my piece of chalk, looked around, and there was the ladder. So I positioned this piece of chalk, and up I went, climbing this ladder. And you can imagine how difficult that must have been. And so finally, I get halfway up. I'm breaking a sweat, and I'm tired. And uh, starting to get a little grumpy, to be honest, because this thing is just, it's uh, cumbersome. And about that time, somebody steps on my hand. And ow! It hurts. And so I kind of paused and I looked up and I couldn't quite see. So I eased up and he eased down and it was Terry Smith. <laughs> I said, how you doing, Terry? And he said, pretty good. And we, we chit-chatted for just a moment. And I said, well, Brother Terry, what are you doing? And he said, Trail, don't tell anybody but I'm going back down for another piece of chalk. Thank goodness that with Christ, we don't have to remember our sins and each and every sin that we've ever committed. Jeremiah 31, 34 said that he's willing to forgive us of all of our iniquities and that he's willing to forgive our sins and remember them no more. I don't know how much sin each of you may have this evening, this morning, but quite frankly, the number doesn't matter. Because if your sins haven't been washed away, then you're going to have to be accountable for all your sins. And so you can take care of your sins this morning. You can decide not to go to your own place where you'll lose everything. Everything that you've ever had. All the luxuries that you think you've enjoyed, but really the luxuries are still yet to come you'll lose those, 
that future glory, the future happiness that is still to come. So you don't want to go to your own place. Learn from Judas. Are you a Judas in this crowd this morning who forsakes God and betrays God for worldly pleasures? Or are you a Jonah, so eager to flee from God that you'll do whatever it takes? Or maybe you're just like Adam and Eve. Maybe you just sinned against God because you're deceived by other teachings. But regardless of which character in today's lesson that you might have been, you can be the character that we haven't mentioned. You can be the character who decides to go to that place that is prepared. That Jesus has prepared for you, that awaits for you a kingdom and a crown just for you. Maybe you are the erring Christian who has chose to go to your own place. Be thankful that Christ is a God of compassion, a God of mercy, and a God of forgiveness. Because you can come back to the fold. That you can once again, just like Jonah, be put in your proper place with God. So if you find yourself in need, whether to become a Christian once again, or to become a child of God for the first time, we eagerly await your response. The decision is important. Do you want to be a child of the world or a child of God? Will you go to a place with God or will, go, will you go to your own place? I hope you choose the place of God. If you find yourself in need, why don't you stand and come while we stand and sing. <coughs>